according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Look at verse 16 and 17. We're going to dig into that today. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this or this kind of sin. Look at verse 17 so there's no mistake. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true and we are in him, capital H Church, who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. See, now it all points to Christ, Church. This, look at what the text says for people that try to say that Jesus is not God the Son. Look at the text. This is the true God and eternal life, all pointing to Christ. Little children, little technons, guard yourself. Put a sentinel around your heart. Guard yourself from idols. So we're going to dig in. Slide one there, Cheryl. First John. Now, in our last time together, and in our time together this morning, we're going to look at scripture which should give all of us this morning pause as to how each of us are living our life. As I began to dig into these verses that you and I are working through this morning, church, it is my hope and prayer that you and I really take God's word seriously. And not only that, we apply what we learn in our very hearts so that you and I can walk in obedience with the Lord. So 1 John 5, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother, now make sure you pay attention to the text. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and he, that's God, will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death, and I do not say that you should make a request for this. In verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, just so we're clear this morning, let's make sure that you and I fully understand what sin is. Church, hear me this morning. Sin is anything you and I do that breaks God's law. Anything. Consider, slide two, consider what Paul said in Romans 3.23. Paul writing to that church in Rome says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Now, it's interesting, that Greek word Paul used there, the word harmato, harmatino, means to miss the mark. The idea of falling short means you're swerving away from the truth. You're going in the wrong direction. You're shooting that arrow and you're not hitting the bullseye. You're falling short. Sin is lawlessness and it is unrighteousness. Sin is a failure to be right and true. Sin is a trespass, meaning that you follow your own will instead of God's will. Have we all been, according to Scripture, guilty of that? I know I have. So, church, this verse reveals the cold, brutal truth to us. Paul's use of the word sin is actually in what we call the Aris test, meaning the past tense, which has the idea that this is something that has been done once and forever. When our first parents sinned, that sin nature has been passed down to all of us and our kids. Here's some more sobering scripture that you give us, Paul. Slide three. This is in the book of Hebrews. If you're wondering why my wife doesn't make the coffee in the morning, she says that would be a sin. I said, what do you mean, honey? She says, well, the Bible says Hebrews. That was over your heads, wasn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. Yeah, I'll keep my day job. For in the case of those who have once... Now, this is, a, this is a text that I don't want you guys to miss. So please watch this text. Look at this text. <clears throat> For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been more, made partakers of the Hagias Numa, that Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then, and then, have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. <clears throat> so think about this for this morning. And these are sobering scriptures. How is a church that people can come to church Week after week after week, and even for years, they can hear the gospel over and over again. They can even become members of their local church and yet never make a commitment to Christ. Now think clearly about that. He says, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened, so I have to answer, so, okay, Paul, what did you mean by the word enlightenment? Enlightenment here has the idea, church, of this intellectual perception of biblical truth. In the Septuagint, it actually translates the word futidzo, which carries the idea of this mental awareness or being mentally aware or instructed. So think about those who have heard the scriptures taught the, the ones back in Jesus' day, sitting there hearing the truth emanate from his own lips, and they still didn't believe. They tasted of the heavenly gift. The idea here is speaking of this great gift of the gospel of salvation, this gift of salvation that comes through Christ. It was, it was like they sampled it, but they never wanted to feast on the truth of the gospel. Can that be said about any of us? Have we been intellectually, uh, you know, uh, uh, instructed 
but we have not surrendered our life to Christ. He then says, they've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And I want to make sure we understand what we mean by the word partakers. That's right. This word does not mean that they were possessed or indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Very important. We're not talking about believers that were indwelt. Okay, the idea of partakers means they were sharing in this common association or these events. They come to church on Sunday. They hear the word of God preached. They've been mentally, you know, uh, instructed. It's even possible that they had an association with the Holy Spirit, maybe even sharing in some of the things that the Holy Spirit does, and they're not saved. <clears throat> Let's keep in mind that the Scriptures never teach, ever teach us, that true followers of Christ are simply associated with the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But then the Bible goes on and says, and then they have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. That's a really frightening thing to think about. Because someday, whether you and I like it, we're going to draw our last breath. There's no second chance. Think about it. They've fallen away. They came to church week after week after week. They were taught they heard the teaching of Scripture. They heard the Eugalion, the good news, the gospel. They took it all in. They tasted, chewed on it, but they never chose to digest the word. The words fall away in the Greek is the word parapipto. It's actually two words. Para meaning uh, to be the side of. Uh, here it's used uh, in the Greek text of impl implying error. Pipto meaning to fall. They, the, the falling away as it is used here is the idea that they have fallen away from the truth, turning away from Christ. I still want things my own way apart from him. Church, hear me this morning. No person should ever think that he or she can live a life of willful sin and disobedience and still think that that's acceptable to God because it's not. Right. Right. It would seem here in the text that Paul's giving his readers a warning so let's remember that John, going back to John, he wrote this letter to believers, those who are the children of God. And we looked at, in you know, slide four, earlier in the text, we had looked at 1 John 5, 13. These things have been grothoed. They've been written to you who believe. Believe meaning you who put your trust in, you adhere to, and you rely on the name of the Son of God so that you know, meaning you, you can be sure of and you can understand that you presently have eternal life or everlasting life. Slide five. So it's clear who's John audiences. So what's he talking about? Well, look at some of these questions here. Can a Christian commit a sin to the point where he and she can lose their salvation? There's actually people out there that believe that you can fall from grace and lose your salvation. <clears throat> Can a Christian commit a sin to the point where he or she is doomed to eternal death? What's the difference between the sin not leading to death and the sin leading to death? I'm glad you asked those questions. I can't wait to hear what I have to say. So let's be honest this morning. This, this is a very frightening thing to consider if you're truly a believer. So slide six. 
Let's break down the scriptures. If a person, if anyone, again, remember, the letter who he's writing to is the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the believers. <coughs> if anyone sees his brother, if anyone sees his brother, his Adelphos, his brother, committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit a sin not leading to death. Now remember the key word that was used in here is the word ask. It's one of the key words, and we learned about this word before. The idea of the word ask, what was going through John's mind when he penned it, at Tieo, has the idea to call for, to desire, or crave. See, it seems that John is talking about interceding we talk about intercessory prayer, right? He's interceding on behalf of a brother who he sees sinning, okay? He's asking God to extend grace to this brother and allow more time for this brother to repent and to spare his life. What kind of death is John talking about here? Is it spiritual or physical? Can a Christian who is born again become unborn again? Can he fall from grace and lose the salvation? I'm going to let the Bible answer that for you, so we'll put this to rest. Slide 7. And the testimony, the evidence, the record is this, that God has given us eternal or everlasting life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Slide 8. Look what John said in John 10, 27 through 29. What does John say? My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Is that you? Is that me? Do we hear his voice? Well, if you don't open your Bible up, I don't know what you think you're doing because that's how God speaks to us today. The Holy Spirit never works independently from the Word. My sheep hear my voice. The Bible says, I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will, what does it say? They will what? They will what? They will never perish. I love the last part. No one can ever or will snatch them out of my hand. There's no one more powerful than God. No one can snatch. You cannot lose your salvation. Unless you're more powerful than God and you can snatch yourself out of his hand, which you can't. How about verse 29? My father <clears throat> who gave those sheep to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them from out of my father's hand think with me this morning can a Christian who's become a new creature slide 9 in Christ become an old creature again what does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say if any man be in Christ he's a new creature the old things are passed away behold all things become new. What's Paul teaching us? 
Paul says clearly in this verse that if I am now in Christ, I'm a new creature. Because when I came to a saving faith in Christ, my old self was crucified or put to death with him. Romans 6 points that out real clearly. The old things. What does he mean? Think about the old things. So let's really think through this, church. Let's engage your minds. He's talking about the old values that you and I had. The old plans and desires that you and I used to have have been replaced with new desires. Paul says, become new. It's interesting. The words there, become new, are in the perfect tense in the Greek. It speaks of a past act which has continuing results. So when you came to faith in Christ, when you truly surrendered your life to him, that old you died with him. His death became your death. Old values, old plans, the things that we used to desire are destroyed and we're becoming new. So you got saved back here and you have continuing results in your life to the very present. The question is, can that be said of you? Have you really surrendered your life to Christ? If you drop dead today, they hit you with the paddles and can't wake you up. You're not coming back. And you're standing before God. Are you going to be in glory with him? Only if your sins are washed away by that crimson blood of Christ. Right. Nothing else can wash away sin except that, that one drop of that blood will be enough to take care of the universe. Right. You see, church, it is God who plants in your heart new desires a new love for him, and not only him, for his offspring, the other children of God. <clears throat> so, hear me, it is impossible for a genuine Christian to become his old self again if he is truly, truly born again. Right. How about you, church? Think about it. Could a Christian whom the Holy Spirit of God has entered into and made his body a temple to dwell in forever Leave that person? The Bible doesn't say that. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. But you, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, I'm done, I'm out, goodbye. No. How about slide 10? How about John 14, 16 and 17? And I will pray. I will ask the Father. He shall give you another paraclete another comforter, the parakletos, the one who dwells you and walks with you. That's the Holy Spirit. That he may, same thing, continually remain with you. In the Greek, it's also the perfect sense. It continually remain with you forever. The Holy Spirit does not say, well, the lease is up, I'm leaving, goodbye. Forever. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, it's permanent. Right. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. You see that? Who the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth, he, he permanently indwells you. And what does the last word say? He shall be where? 
Where? In you. In you. Don't believe the lie that you can lose your salvation. Yes, we continually sin, but that blood of Christ washes our sins away, past, present, and future. Doesn't ever lose its power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, all of the biblical evidence from Scripture, the answer is clear that the sin unto death cannot mean spiritual death as it pertains to a born-again believer. So then, what is John telling us? If it's not spiritual death, as we've clearly seen in the Scripture, what kind of death does he mean? Again, we've already learned that all sin is offense to God. So then, what is the sin under death? I'm going to let Tim Challies answer that. Really pay attention to these next slides. Tim Challies uh, shared some of John Owen's teaching from this book, Overcoming Sin, written by John Owen. Phenomenal book. If it's still available, grab it up. Here are seven marks of deeply deadly sin. Slide 11. Tim Challies writes, Your sin is deep-rooted and habitual, meaning you're continually doing it over and over again, <clears throat> and you don't care. There may be some sins that you have been in your life so long or have been in your life so long and with such prevalence that you no longer find them shocking or particularly bothersome. Your mind and your conscience have grown hard to the sin, and it is now deeply ingrained in your thoughts and your habits. You, my friend, are in a dangerous place when you have grown ambivalent to that sin. Unless some extraordinary course be taken, such a person has no ground in the world except to expect that his ladder shall end in peace. Slide 12. You proclaim God's approval, but without battling sin. You come to church, oh, I know I'm saved, but you're not battling sin. You know that a certain sin is prevalent in your life, and yet you continue to proclaim that you are accepted in Christ. Even though God has revealed that sin to you, even though you have made, uh, and even though you have made no real attempt to put it to death, still you recount God's grace to you in the gospel, and you still take comfort in the peace of that gospel. Slide 13. John Owen wants you to know that you cannot preach God's peace to yourself while you embrace that one great sin. The gospel offers no comfort to those who slow dance with their favorite sin. Are you still romancing and feeding and giving energy to an ongoing sin in your life? Dangerous ground. Slide 14. <clears throat> you apply God's you apply grace and mercy to a sin you do not intend to put to death. Ooh. Owen's meddling now, Dr. Carter. Ooh. Preach. You cannot proclaim that the gospel has covered your sin if you do not intend to battle that sin. To apply mercy to a sin not vigorously mortified is to fulfill the end of the flesh upon the gospel. Sometimes your heart longs for peace with God but at the same time, it longs for satisfaction or that sin. What are those seductive, satisfying sins that you're romancing that you just don't want to give up because they're too delicious to you? And God's saying, he's put the finger on it. He's saying, you're still romancing that sin. Slide 15. In these cases, 
you may rashly look to the gospel to appease or soothe your conscience, even though you have no intention of stopping your sin. But the gospel does not allow you to apply God's mercy and grace to a sin you love and you intend to cling to. Do you know what that is for you? Slide 16. Boy, it got quiet. Sin is frequently successful at seducing your desires. Oh, there are times when your heart takes delight in a sin, even though you do not actually commit that sin outwardly. <clears throat> yes, church, be very careful of your thought life. If a sin becomes your delight and has a great hold upon your soul, it is a dangerous sign of a particularly deadly sin. This is, even, this is true even if you do not commit that sin. <clears throat> if your delight is in sin and not God, your soul is being drawn away from your Savior. Whew. Slide 17. <clears throat> and by the way, slide, let me predicate slide 17. You are against sin only out of fear of impending punishment. There's, there are sins that we're only sorry because we got caught. And then there are sins that we truly grieve over. Here's a question I asked probably about a year ago. When was the last time you really truly wept over your sin? Think about that. When you truly wept over it. You wept over it because it's an offense to God. When was the last time you wept over your sin? You know, we, we, we have those sins that, oh, you know, I'm only sorry because I got caught. And I, maybe I'll do 2 Corinthians 15 later on, but think about that. It is a sign that sin has taken significant possession of your will when you argue against sin or fail to commit sin only because fear of punishment. In this case, you do not delight to do God's will, but only fear the consequences of disobedience. A true Christian, a true Christian battles sin out of a desire, look at it church, to please God and to find his delight in God. Which do you find more delight in? Your relationship with the creator that knit you in your mother's womb or the trinkets of our worldly desires? Which one wins? Who loses? Slide 18. Boy, it got quiet, Dr. Carter. <laughs> you realize that God is allowing one sin in your life to make you aware of another. There are times when God allows you to battle one sin in order to expose an even deeper sin. A new sin may be permitted as well as new affliction sent to bring an old sin to remembrance. In such a case, God is exercising fatherly discipline. If God is disciplining you by allowing another sin or by bringing some kind of affliction, he is sending a message about the hardness of your heart and the depth of your sin. Heed the warning. Heed the warning, church. 
There's a lot, Satan has a lot of seductive tools in his toolbox in order to do everything he can to woo you away from God. How about 19, Cheryl? Number seven. You have hardened your heart against God as he has exposed your sin before you. God graciously reveals your sin through his, what does it say? Through his what? Through his word, church. Through his word. Through your conscience. That's mean, the word conscience means with knowledge. Through other Christians and through many other means. When he reveals your sin, he also prompts you to take action against it. What's your battle strategy against the sins that you have such affection for? If you continually reject his help and you harden your heart against that sin, you are in a dangerous, dangerous state. Slide 20. Unspeakable are the evils which attend such a frame of heart. Every particular warning to a man in such an estate is an inestimable mercy. How then does he despise God in them who holds out against them? And what infinite patience in this in God that he does not cast off such a one and swear in his wrath that he shall never enter his rest. Slide 21. Heading back into John. He finishes verse 16. There is a sin leading to death. They do not say that he should make requests for it. I want you to notice something. In that, in that verse, John does not use the word brother. There's a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. <clears throat> now, if John has made it clear that a Christian cannot have a spiritual death and lose a salvation, and that his death is a physical death, how could there also possibly be another idea that John might have also been thinking about? How about those who are professing to be believers, professing to be saved and Christians, but who have never truly come to saving faith in Christ. How about them? Those who come to church every Sunday, but who have turned away from Christ and have opposed him. Think with me about the sobering words that John had penned earlier. Back in slide 20, back in 1 John 2, 18 and 19. John says, children, very emphatic again in the Greek. He's, he's like a daddy trying to call his kids, stop, don't do that. Children, children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now there are many Antichrists that have appeared. From this we know that it's the last hour. They, they went out from us but they were never really of us. They were never of us, guys. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us so that it would be shown that they're not all of us. Slide 23. One of Dr. Carter and my favorite scholars is Kenneth Woost. Kenneth Woost says this, The sin unto death refers in the context in which John is writing to 
the denial of the incarnation. It would be committed by those who John designates as Antichrist who did not belong to the true Christian body of believers but were unsaved. Slide 24. A.T. Robertson says this. John conceives of a sin that is deadly enough to be called unto death. There is a distinction in Hebrews 10.26 which reads, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Slide 25. So John, or Jesus, <clears throat> spoke of the unpardonable sin in Mark 3.29. Whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin, which is, was attributing to the devil the manifest work of the Holy Spirit. It is possible that John had the idea in mind when he applies it to those who reject Jesus Christ as the Son of God and set themselves up as Antichrist. Anti meaning against. And Antichrist is somebody that's against Christ. Slide 26. Here's what William Barclay says regarding the person who commits the sin unto death. <clears throat> Again, by now you should see somebody that has not surrendered to life to Christ. They do not believe that Jesus died on that cross to pay their sin debt in full. They have not come to a saving faith in Christ. They are never going to see glory. They will be burning in hell for all eternity. So, Barclay says, Now, in life, it is a fact of experience that there are two kinds of sinners. <clears throat> so long as a man in his heart of hearts hates sin and hates himself for sinning, so long as he knows that he is sinning, he is never beyond repentance. I'm going to read that again to give you encouragement. So long as a man in his heart of hearts hates sin, hates himself for sinning, can that be said about you and I? So long as he knows he's in sin, he is never beyond repentance and therefore never beyond forgiveness. Slide 27. But once a man begins to revel in his sin and to make sin the deliberate policy of his life and loses all sense of terror and awfulness of sin. Have you lost that terror of what sin can do? And also the feeling of self-disgust. He loses that. He's on his way to death. For he is on the way to a state where the idea of repentance will not and cannot enter his head. <clears throat> the sin unto death is the state of a man who has listened to sin so often and refused to listen to God so often that he has come to a state when he loves his sin and when he regards sin as the most profitable thing in the world. I know this is a tough message, but it needs to be preached. So then, church, for a true believer who falls so deeply into sin, it would seem then the Lord could choose to discipline him severely to the point where he actually will take that person home to be with him. Wow. For those, however, who reject Christ, 
the scriptures are clear that there remains no sacrifice for sin. I want you to notice how John finishes his thoughts here. Slide 28. John says, not some, not a little bit, he says, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. Just so we're clear, John, what do you mean when you use the word unrighteousness? John, I'm going to dig down into the text and exegete. I'm going to draw out to try to understand what you meant when you used the word unrighteousness. Greek word is adikia. It means this. That which does not conform to justice. Evil doing. Morally wrong. Iniquity. Illegal. Shameful. <clears throat> that is unrighteousness. Doing things illegally. Shamefully. Doing things that you know to be morally wrong. Not conforming to justice. All of this behavior, inwardly and outwardly, church, is sin. And as we've learned, sin is inexcusable. Sin is a violation of God's law. I think that John is using some strong language here because he, is in, he in no way wants to ever minimize sin. Many people today seem to think far too lightly about sin. Churches are now allowing behaviors and doing ceremonies and things that the scripture clearly says, thou shalt not, that's sin. Not here. In fact, many folks today don't seemingly care if they're in sin. <clears throat> they actually think that some sins are, no, they're permissible. But that is not what the word of God says. Church, just because there are sins that don't lead to death in no way makes those sins okay to practice as an everyday way of life. There's no excuse. Slide 29. James 4, 17. Therefore, to him that knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. See that? Romans 8.13, Paul writing, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But by, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What's your battle strategy in your life against the sins that you know that you're committing? Do you have a battle strategy? Church gives you a lot. You could be here Mondays for prayer and devotion. You could be here Thursday nights for an in-depth Bible study. You're here Sunday mornings. Just with the church alone, there's three ways that you can learn to put the scriptures to use in your life and have a battle strategy. You don't have to be sitting home, eating fat on Cheetos and watching TV for eight hours a day and think you're going to learn anything. Or you can say, you know, is God worth... 90 minutes on a Monday and an hour and 15 minutes on a Thursday? or That's just not that important. Think, church. I know it's hard to fit in the year, as Dr. Wood would say, but think about it. How about slide 30? Don't worry, we're almost done. Got another hour. I'm kidding. 
Slide 30. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Necros, dead to what? <clears throat> Immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, greed, which amounts to idolatry. So as I finish up here, let me ask some questions to help us think about where we are when it comes to Christ. Do we take lightly the sacrifice of Christ? Now, let, answer that for yourself. Do we take lightly the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? His death on that cross. Hear me this morning. I'm, I'm closing up. Church, our faith must be anchored and secured in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. If our faith is anchored in anything else but the finished work of Christ, understand this, we have no hope at all. None. It is at the cross where everything in our life changes. The moment a person comes to a saving faith in Christ and his mouth is stopped and he realizes he has no righteousness of his own, his life changes. I'm going to close with what Paul Washer says. This is slide 31 and 32, and then I'm done. This powerful writing from Washer. Paul says, Church, to receive the gospel is to reject the world. To receive and follow the gospel call is to reject all that can be seen with the eye and held with the hand in exchange for that which cannot be seen. It is to reject personal autonomy and the right to self-government in order to enslave oneself to a Messiah who died 2,000 years ago as an enemy of the state and a blasphemer. It is to risk everything in this one and only life in the belief that this impaled prophet is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Slide 32. Washer goes on to say, a genuine receiving of the gospel not only involves a disdain for and a turning from sin, but also a disdain for and turning away from confidence in anything other than Christ, especially a confidence in self, which is the opposite of the world. He is to cast off all hope in good works as a means of salvation and trust exclusively in the person and perfect work of Christ. Can that be said about us? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. If you are here this morning, you listening around the world, whatever country you're in right now, the sermon audio, I want to encourage you. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ, if your heart has been convicted by the teaching of Scripture this morning, I'm going to ask you to surrender yourself Surrender your entire life to Jesus Christ. Someday you're going to die, and it is appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. Make no mistake, you don't get a second chance when you're dead. There's no second chance. It's appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here this morning, and you've been toying with sin, 
You've been nurturing a sin in your life. Give it to God right now. Ask the Lord to help you put a battle strategy against it. Place your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time for you to get right with God. There's no second chance. We will all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds we did in our body when we were alive here on earth, whether good or evil. You will stand before him. And either your death penalty is paid with the crimson blood of Christ, and he says, enter into glory, or you die in your sin and you enter into hell. Hell is a real place. It is not a figment of an imagination. It is real. And then the final judgment, when you're cast into Exeteroskata's outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. This is real stuff, church. This isn't a game. This is real stuff. We are in the last days, and it's time for you to take God seriously. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your scripture. I pray, Lord, that we would take it seriously, and we would take our time with you seriously and with other brothers, sisters, in Christ seriously. And if, Lord, if there's anybody here or listening around the world that has not surrendered their life to you, Lord, I pray this morning that they would put their faith and trust in you alone as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Look up and receive God's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 